Um, but she asked me, hey, Ivan, I know you were coming in a couple of weeks. Would you come preach a sermon? Uh, so I said, no. Um, and then she asked me, how are you doing? And I couldn't shut my mouth. I was just telling her everything about what I've been learning and stuff. Then she asked me a question. So, would you preach in two weeks at Fall Creek Church? I said, yes. Um, if you would have asked me 11 years ago eh, that I was going to be here today, I would have just laughed at you and say, that's not funny. Um, but 11 years ago, um, when I came to this country, I could barely even pronounce how to say chicken. Um, I uh, had a hard time, but it's kind of crazy that I'm here today. But nobody told me, nobody told me that I was going to graduate high school. And then, just three years ago, I graduated college. Like, this summer is about to, I'm about to graduate seminary. Can somebody just stop the time? I want to stay a kid. I want to stay the same. It's kind of crazy, right? Um, but um, this summer, I'm, I am actually finally graduating from college. I can't believe that. Uh, but I'm super excited. A um, couple of weeks ago, I actually had my, an interview in my conference, Southeastern California Conference, and one of the churches. And the, the interview went really well. And uh, by the end of this month, beginning of April, I should know if I actually have a church. And uh, which, it's a good chance uh, that I'm going to be a youth pastor at that particular church. I'm not going to say the name yet. But uh, before we jump in, let's just say another quick word of prayer. Is that okay? That's it. Dear God, um, I'm tired. I just came from school and... um, but this week has been great uh, for, to me. I got rest. But Lord, um, we're all tired. And we just want to just take this moment to um, come into our lives and just speak to our hearts. Um, speak through me because it's not about me. But um, it's really important to know what you have to tell us. And uh, yeah, I pray amen. Okay, so when you look at um, the title, Am I There Yet? Uh, you might think, um, like, hey, am I married yet? No. Um, am I rich yet? Uh, no. Uh, am I fully educated yet? Uh, no. Am I hungry yet? Um, almost always. Um, but um, as I was growing up, um, the reason why I mentioned this, as I was growing up, I was born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, my parents have taught me how to love Jesus. And they have taught me everything in their best abilities to live a good life in a way that, you know, I love Jesus and I do great things, which is really good. But eventually when I came to the particular age, I started asking myself questions like, why am I a Christian? Why am I a Seventh-day Adventist? Uh, Why is it important for me to come to church? Uh, do I, I have to be perfect? And if I do, how do I get there? Um, am I saved yet? Uh, am I good enough yet? So what, what, can I, what can I do to get there? That was my questions as I was um, asking that. This last semester I have been learning a lot. And um, one of the things that I have been learning the most is about the nature of Christ 
and the nature of human beings. And as you can just hear in those sentences, it's a really big topic, and you can talk for hours and hours about it. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, we, have, we don't have that much time. Unfortunately, we're not going to be here that long. So I'll be fine. Uh, so the reason why um, this topic is important because um, our view of ourselves and others will inversely affect our view of Jesus Christ and his work for us. When I was 15 years old, I decided to get baptized. I was super excited. I was like, yes, I'm going to get baptized. The moment I got into the water and I came out, I thought I had no more sins. I am sinless. I am finally there. And, uh, and so the first thing I did that Sabbath, I uh, went to my room and I read the Bible the whole rest of the day. It was a great day. Um, eventually, I figured out that, you know what, you know, I can't really stay perfect. And I said, oh, 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 what do you do wrong? And so I kind of said, you know what? And the moment I did something wrong, I felt like Jesus, God is judging me right then and say, you got to fix it right now. Because if you don't, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to do something to you. And so I was like, ah, oh, i got to get better. But even today, I feel like I'm still not there yet. And so, um, as I was um, the last, last, this semester at the seminary, I've been learning about the nature of Christ and the human beings. And so, uh, we're going to just jump in. And it's going to be a little bit more uh, wordy, but I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to help you. Um, as you can see in this chart, if you look to the left, it says high Christology from above and low Christology from below. And so basically, high Christology from above, what it means is that basically God is 100% God. He's our Savior. He is our, our example. And when at the same time, He's 100% human being who came to this earth and lived the life that he was, not, he was without sin, but he had to go through what we had to go through. Now, if you look low Christology from below... Is basically what that does. It makes takes us and Jesus as we can be the same. So basically, Christ is not fully perfect, but also we can be on His level. Now, if you look to the right, which is high anthropology and low anthropology, this is more like us human beings. If you look at high anthropology, is basically saying, "Hey." I can be perfect. I'm, I can obey the commandments perfectly. I can be where Jesus is. And so Jesus and I are the same. And if you look at the low anthropology, it's basically say, saying, hey, I am a foolish sinner. I am basically nothing, and I'm desperately in need of a Savior. Next. And so when we look just at traditional Christian theology... It's Christ is fully God and fully human, which is high Christology and also low anthropology. And then um, in 19th century, liberal theology, basically what they did back then, 
is that they, they demoted Christ and they lifted up more like as human beings up there. And so, as you know, some of the Adventist uh, Adventism was born in the midst of the 19th century, while its doctrinal te- uh, teachings are far from uh, the excesses of the liberal theology, it is conceivable that our pioneers may have been influenced by the general theological methods of the 19th century that uh, permit, um, what do you say? permeated the theology of the churches they came from. Um, how do we know that? How do I know that? Well, let's look at three different pictures. Picture number one. So this picture is basically was uh, by James White in 1873. What do you see? So you kind of see, you know, there's uh, the garden, uh, disciples, there's uh, the kingdom. But in the center, in the center, we see the tree with the Ten Commandments, and there's an eye right in it. And then you see the cross. And so you, you see, the, when you look at the picture. The first thing you see is basically the tree and commandments because they're the biggest. And that eye right there is kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, what is it represented? And this is the second picture, also by James White in 1876. So three years later, what's the difference? So it's sort of, sort of the same, but where did the eye go, right? Go back to one picture. And then go back to the... You see, the eye is not there. Commandments are still in the middle. Jesus is still on the cross. Okay, let's look at the last picture. This is by Ellen White in 1883, seven years later. Commandments are not even there. So Jesus is right there. So what I believe Ellen White's point was not that just remove the commandments. But her point was where is our focus? So just let's look at all three pictures one more time. Let's go to back. Number one, number two, and then number three. And then next picture. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes. That, that's the key. We, know, we all know this verse, but those key words, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, what are the two greatest commandments? Yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the second question is, what are the greatest two sins? Not loving God? And not loving your neighbor. Okay, next. You are never too important to be nice to people. It doesn't matter like, as of right now, I'm going to the ministry. I'm going to be a pastor. Um, pretty big name. Um, people are going to be looking at me like, like, who is this guy kind of thing. And I think it's important for me to represent myself well. But I'm never too important to love people. To be nice to them. And so let's go back to our form that we, I started earlier. To the high Christology from above. To the low Christology, low Christology from below. And then anthropology and anthropology. As we look at it. 
the high Christology and the low anthropology are the key. They are like this, and we're going to see why. So, Christology trends. As you can see, in early Adventism, we used to believe more from low Christology from below to the high anthropology. So, basically, we would believe that eventually, we can keep the, everything perfect and be there with Jesus, just like Jesus, 100%. Then, we look at the modern Adventism, 1880s, and so, it, the view changed. But then when you go kind of in between, in 1888 to 1950, we were trying to do this. But this doesn't work. Because it just doesn't work. And then in modern Adventism, what happens is basically Christ is 100% God. And he was, what happened is, when he came to this earth, he became 100% human without sin. He had no sin, but he had to go through the temptations that we're going through today as well. So he basically was, Jesus was an example to us. And then when you go to, what happens when we realize that, is basically, I am nothing. I am nothing without the cross. I am nothing without Jesus in my life. There is nothing I can do to save myself. At times I feel like, ah, oh, i got to do something to feel better. i got to do something. There is nothing I can do to save myself but to run to the cross. And what that does, it basically, um, sorry, go back. It's sanctification. It basically that Jesus eventually, because we want to be like Jesus, and our lives transforms and gets us back to high anthropology, but we're still with sin. So, two crucial questions, really crucial questions. Number one, are we born in need of a Savior? Yes or no? Was Jesus born in need of a Savior? Yes or no? Now, if you answer the, the question number one, yes, we are born in need of a Savior. And then the second question, yes, Jesus is born in need of a Savior. Then, Jesus and human beings share the same corrupt fallen nature. Jesus needed to be saved through his own death before he could save humanity. If you answered yes, and that we are in need, desperate need of a Savior, and know that Jesus is not born in need of a Savior, then we are not exactly the same as Jesus, and we need his death and ministry in heaven in order to be saved. So this is our view, Adventist view. Next. If you answered no and no, we do not need a Savior, and Jesus does not need a Savior, then Jesus and human beings are exactly the same. Since Jesus and human beings are exactly the same, and Jesus did not need a Savior, then there are times in human lives when they also do not need a Savior. Um, actually, I've been pretty good last seven weeks. I have no sins. I think I'm okay, you know. I don't need Jesus right now. I kind of hold on to it. Um, this is what, this is it. This is it. Then definition of sin, an act of breaking the commandments of God rather than the um, separation from God. It is doing rather than being. Since Christ and we share the same sinful nature, 
and Christ did not need a savior when he was born, children are not born in need of a savior and may one day stop being in need of a savior when they become sinless. So one day we will be, um, this is the last generation theology theory. So at the end, one day we'll actually be without sin. David says, Behold, I am brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Jeremiah says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul wrote to Timothy, It is trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom... I am foremost of all. Luke says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And John says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. As it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. Okay, this is really long. But this is really important because it kind of... Uh, Ellen White is describing everything what I just have said. So just, just, uh, yeah, check this out. Those who are really seeking to perfect Christian character will never indulge the thought that they are sinless. Their lives may be irreproachable. They may be living represent, uh, representative of the truth which they have accepted. But the more they discipline their minds to dwell upon the character of Christ, and the nearer they approach to his divine image, the more clearly will they discern its spotless perfection, and the more deeply will they feel their own defects. Are you still with me? When persons claim that they are sanctified, they give sufficient evidence that they are far from being holy. They fail to see their own weakness and destitution. They look upon themselves as reflecting the image of Christ because they have no true knowledge of Him. The greater the distance between them and their Savior, the more righteous they appear in their own eyes. While with penitence and humble trust, we meditate upon Jesus, whom our sins have pierced, and our sorrows have burdened, we may learn to walk in his footsteps. By beholding him, we become changed into his divine likeness. And when this work is wrought in us, we shall claim no righteousness of our own, but shall exalt Jesus Christ while we hang our helpless souls upon his merits. Whew. Do you kind of understand it? you get it? Okay, one more long one. I'm sorry. It's not as long. But in ourselves, we're sinners. But in Christ, we are righteous. Having made us righteous through the imputed righteousness of Christ, God pronounces us just and treats us as just. He looks upon us as his dear children. Christ works against the power of sin. And where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
I don't know, but like when I come here to Oregon, I fall in love with all of your kids, with every single kid. And I cannot imagine how much more the fathers and mothers in this building love their kids. And so when the kids do something wrong, they don't stop loving them. It doesn't mean it's right what they did, but they in fact will die for their kids. And so how much more will God do it for us? So what's the point of the commandments? Like I was asking myself, if I can just go and just be like Christ and stuff, why do I need commandments? Because it is for my own benefit. It is something that has, is helping me to stay away from trouble. And so look at Ten Commandments. Look at all Ten Commandments as the Ten Promises that God is giving to us today. For example, no other gods. There is no other gods. So God says worship. It, there's only one true God. Have no other image, which is also worship because it's transcendent, incomparable God. Because there's nothing more beautiful than our God. Do not misuse my name. Is reverence. God's name. It is his character. Keep Sabbath day holy. Just take a breath. Rest. Don't go to work. Just, just you know, do something else. Spend time with me. Honor your father and your mother. Honor. Shall not murder. Respect for life. Shall not commit adultery. It's marriage. Shall not steal. Ownership. Shall not give false testimony, which is truth, fairness. Shall not covet your neighbor's. So it is like saying, I promise you, when you worship only me, I will give you life. I promise you, since you are free, you will not even want to have any other gods. I promise you, when you are fair to other people, it comes right back to you. So what is grace? Because am I there yet? Grace is undeserved, unmerited. It is unearned. It is a favor. And I can thank my God for the eternity. And there will be not enough time to thank him for what he has done for me. And so I wish the same thing for everybody else in this room.